Hello, welcome to the podcast on consciousness with Bernard Bars. Open-minded conversations on some new ideas about the scientific study of consciousness in the brain. I'm Nat Geld, this show's producer. We're here today with Bernie Bars, acclaimed author in psychobiology, including his newest book titled On Consciousness, Science and Subjectivity, Updated Works on Global Workspace Theory. Bernie is the originator of Global Workspace Theory, GWT, and Global Workspace Dynamics, a theory of human cognitive architecture, the cortex, and consciousness, and one of the founders of the modern science of consciousness. Hi, Bernie. Hi there. I'm Bernard Bars, and this is On Consciousness, and with me is Dr. Jay Gade, whose career I cannot summarize because he's done so many distinguished things. So, Jay, who are you? I'm just uh, reminded of how many different paths there are to this study of, of consciousness, and we, we need all the different perspectives and, and paths. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just striking a, a, what a vast array of, of different backgrounds of people now yeah. focusing on the same problem. Yeah. I'm the uh, um, director of child and adolescent uh, psychiatry here at UCSD and at Radiant Children's Hospital. But my, my research has basically been understanding the brain how it changes from in the womb through throughout life into old age, um, what matters uh, in terms of, of uh, what we do or what societies do or families do to influence how the brain grows and develops in health and in illness. I want to ask Jay, because we've been talking right now for a few days about consciousness and the brain. And let me know, if you can, please, what is the top most question or answer uh, on your mind? I think fundamentally is, from a developmental standpoint, when do we cross the threshold? Being unconscious and then being conscious. And we've discussed this week, you know, different definitions and the nuances of that. But fundamentally, I think people sort of understand that notion, the difference between when you're asleep and then when you wake up, and that that sort of sensation of self-awareness, of knowing who you are, in the world around you. So I've been interested in what is the hardware, so to speak, necessary for that, in terms of of what would be necessary from a brain or perhaps even other than a brain to have the the right possibilities for this word we call consciousness for it to emerge. And I think we're getting closer and closer to going from the theoretical to actually thinking of what sort of experiments, what sort of instruments, what sort of measurements would help us to really um, discern what are these fundamental elements that are needed. Yes, exactly. I have been following some of the discoveries uh, on, on sleep, which are remarkable. Uh, and they've been accelerating, I think, so it's hard to keep up with because it's coming so fast. And my understanding is that in the most unconscious part of sleep, which is called slow wave, sleep, but that's the wrong word, because that is what you see at the scalp, right? And and this is after the electromagnetic field has to make its way through all these layers and layers and layers of tissue, so you lose 99.9% of the signal. And so we we used to see, you know, what, what we call slow waves, and then in human beings who are 
epileptics and need to have a waking open brain operation. We don't see that. Uh, right, so when we, we see buzz, pause, buzz, pause, buzz, pause. Yeah. And what do you make of that? Yeah, I think in general, like um, subdividing consciousness into sleep, you know, or non-sleep uh, already kind of shows the, um, how, how it needs to be more com- complex than that because there are many different stages of sleep, many different brain activities. When you go to sleep, your brain doesn't turn off. It still uses 20 to 25% of all the... Uh, energy used in your body is in your brain, awake or asleep. Oh, yeah. I tell my students, you might as well stay awake because Do your brain will be working just as hard if you, <laughs> if you, if you, if you fall asleep. Um, but it does uh, suggest then there are different you know, types of sleep. Perhaps there are different types of consciousness and different levels of that, which um, um, have, have been des- described in some ways, but I think that there's still um, a lot of confusion and a lot of uncertainty about just what it means to be more conscious than perhaps you and I are at this moment. Uh-huh. Is there another, mm-hmm. another, another, another step up? But even, even though people um, would say when you're asleep, you're not conscious, you're kind of close, right, in our dreams. You know, they're, they're a little bit weird, you know, sometimes and, and not always bound, you know, by reality and stuff like that. But they have a lot in common with, uh, with consciousness and awake, you know, storylines and, and emotions and, and, and scenarios. And, and so I think it's a fascinating. It seems to me to be right on the precipice, you know, in terms of just a, a little bit more of whatever dreaming is uh, would be similar. And w- one idea is that our brain's main uh, attribute is sort of a, a prediction machine. We try to predict the world around us. We model the world within, uh, within our, our brains. And, and when we're dreaming, this model isn't, isn't um, uh, checked very well in terms of, by checking I mean getting sensory input from our eyes, our ears, our, our, our nose, our, our skin, and that when we're awake, in a sense, we're, we're, we're dreaming, but the dream is constantly corrected by the sensory input. Um, and so our dreams seem more real in, in, that, in that sense. They're, um, they're several times a second, they're sort of updated in, in terms of, 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 is this what the world around you is really doing? Right. But, but I think that interface um, is, is where it's at, so to speak, in terms of, because in between it's drowsy, like you just wake up, you're, you're kind of not, you haven't had that cup of coffee yet and stuff as well. And so it'd be interesting if we could capture, like, is drowsiness truly an intermediate conscious state? Right. You know, or, um, right. or is it more right. all or nothing? It's like, you know, okay, now I'm conscious, a second ago I wasn't. Um, sort of the analog versus digital kind of, uh, um, of notions. But I think that um, a challenge ahead is that if we can find ways to quantify consciousness or some aspect of it, then we could look along this continuum of, of how conscious is the deepest state of sleep, how conscious is dream state, awake. And as we go through life, do we actually become more conscious or do we become more conscious when we're in love or in different experiences? Um, this idea of being connected, of knowing our place in the universe around us, is it, are there shades of gray? Um, and I think that's going to be an exciting part of the future with technologies and ways to measure more and more accurately and intimately the anatomy of the brain, the physiology of the brain, and really importantly, the connectedness of the brain. Right. How the different parts of the brain are communicating with each other, which is the, the newest and I think most uh, exciting uh, frontiers. Oh, yes. yes. And that involves the connectome. 
But it's yes. also more, and the connectome is the anatomical connectivity of... Sort of the, uh, the map, as you were, like the, the globe, you know, of how the exactly. brain is connected. Right. I guess, uh, like, fundamentally, so this, almost everything I say could be questioned by, you know, by people, and consciousness is a, a business of questions more than, than answers, but yep. I would say a neuron is not conscious in terms of the way I would understand consciousness, mm -hmm. but a group of them can be. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's, uh, that's where the, the mystery lies. I think, how can it be that um, you know, one thing cannot be conscious, but the interaction can? Right. And I think that is the, the necessary hardware. It's not just the number of connections or else yeah. you know, your computer would be conscious. Uh, right. It's not, is it, there, there's some you know, balance of it's not just number of connections, but type of connections right. um, that allows us to have this experience of being, existing. Yes, exactly. Uh, I've actually been uh, paying more attention to my dreams. Uh, for a long time, for mm -hmm. decades, I didn't remember my dreams in the morning. And then at some point I decided, you know, wouldn't it be nice uh, to figure out how I can recall my dreams? Yes, and, yeah. And of course, you know, a, a dream may happen at midnight and you wake up at seven o'clock in the morning or something like that. Of course, you can't recall it. Yes, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so inevitably, uh, what seems to happen is that either you have to wake up right away uh, uh, when you have the dream at, at, at midnight, and that's one way dreams have been studied, right? Yeah, yeah. Or you have to wait until you wake up spontaneously and, and in the morning, and, and, uh, and then you can do a recall. So, yeah. for practical reasons, I started to do Interesting. Twilight uh -huh. Recall when yeah. I got drowsy. And I get drowsy too, more often yeah. than I would like. Uh, but it's not a big deal. And, and one of the things, as you know, obviously, is that when you get drowsy at some point, your skeletal muscles uh, tone yes. drops. Yes. Yeah. And your head drops right along mm -hmm. with it. And any coffee that you are <laughs> holding in your hand also crashes to the floor. Uh, and then you wake up and say, I, I must have been dreaming. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that's not a bad way to start exploring. But do, do you ever have a dream where, like, in the dream, you're going, is this a dream? You know, or you kind of, sometimes it seems so real. Yes. You know, and, and even though you... You know, kind of within the dream, so this has got to be a dream. But at that moment, it seems like it's very, very real. You know, it's, it's so interesting. I don't think I'm very good at lucid dreaming, but it's an interesting, you know, this is kind of search, right? Yeah. So you start here, and, and then I wonder if I can do lucid dreaming. <laughs> as, as part of my, I began my training as a Freudian, you know, psychoanalytic type, of, which in my defense, that my generation, that was sort of the only game in town. But as part of our training, we had to do dream journals. Oh. Um, at the, now I do use the phone, right? But then it was like literally writing them down. And I sometimes had this sensation, I'd wake up in the morning and I knew I had a dream and it was brilliant. I just couldn't remember it. And it almost like the, 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 the more brilliant it was, the least likely I remember it. And then when I actually started writing them down, when I actually saw them that next morning, they're horrible. And they, you know, they wouldn't work in a million years. And, but this, there was this notion, like you figured out, you know, uh, you know world peace and, 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 and all these, these things. And it's very satisfying. But the, um, there's actually some interesting historical examples of people discovering how carbon rings are. Right, right. But, but, but I think it's overplayed a bit in terms of that a lot of the best creative idea actually occur in the shower. 
uh, in the bed for, and that's been, been, been looked at a bit. But this, this, uh, this um, idea of, of wondering what your dreams mean, it's been a huge theme throughout most of you know, psychology and psychiatry training. Okay. Um, one of the most misquoted aspects of Freud is that dreams are the royal road to the unconscious. Right. But he actually said the interpretation of dreams oh, is, and they're very different actually. Because yes. interpretation is all about then processing it later. And I came to believe you could almost start with anything, like kind of a stone soup model and whatever you, and the psychiatrist is called to start talking about can be fruitful and you can uh, uncover patterns and biases and, and motivations that might not have been obvious. But whether they have more you know, profound like meaning, meaning, I think is still interesting. If you um, look at um, a mice that you train them to turn right every time in a maze and do that all day, and another mouse left every time. You can actually, by looking at their, their brains, dreaming later, tell which one ran right and which one left. So there's some connection about our day-to-day -day activities that gets worked you know, into our dreams. There's certainly some of our fears get worked in, our aspirations. So it's not you know, zero correlation, but, but I think sometimes people um, give it almost sort of a, a magical credence. Ah, oh, this is you know, gonna predict the future or this one. Yeah. But, but it is interesting how you know, we, we don't dream all night long, right? We only you know, dream in kind of 90 minute epics. And why do we, you know, why do, we do it? What is it, you know, what good is it? Um, exactly, yeah. right. Uh, one of the things that, you know, I keep on rediscovering these things and rediscovering the Freudian hypotheses and the Jungian hypotheses and any others. And the one thing I think I know is, is that the standard story that I was taught uh, as an undergraduate in college was not right because dreams are not random, at least not in terms of their content. Yeah. They may be sparked off by random activity. In the but there's still narrative in some sense. We have some storyline going, even, even if it's beyond the usual laws of physics and biology, there's often there's some storyline. Right. And, and one, Hypothesis about that is that cortex looks for meaning. Yes, yes. Uh, even with random I, I, input. I think that's well supported actually, in terms of that the brain does seek meaning patterns. It would be very adaptive to do so in nature, right? You need to know um, to predict danger, to um, develop social ties. So our brains are very good at, at one, at recognizing patterns, but also creating them, even when they're not there. And the misattribution can be a big part of superstitions and other aspects. Oh, yeah. But that notion of, of narrative and stuff uh, is one thing that uh, has been studied in schizophrenia and stuff, yeah. of whether the sort of ability to you know, tie together the story you know, can, can be altered um, during, mm. during psychotic states or, right. or delirium, which is a fluctuating you know, conscious. Um, and it, it sort of rings true, and, and then it would raise the question of how can we design studies, you know, that would, would test uh, the, the nuances right, exactly. uh, of that. So, so here's one question I started to ask myself when I started to pay attention to my dreams, and twilight states also, because twilight mm -hmm. states are so neat. Because In some ways, they're sort of like awake dreaming. I mean, you know, in terms it's, of it's, perceptions can it's be... It's very you know, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And it was studied very nicely mm -hmm. around 1900 in places like Vienna, uh, as it happens. Uh, and yes, one, yeah. one paper I have read, uh, and I'll have to tell you the name of the author later on, this uh, medical doctor, I think, started to wonder about his twilight states. 
and he propped his elbow on his chair arm, mm-hmm, armchair mm-hmm. arm, uh, right. And what happened, of course, is that as soon as he lost muscle tone, this thing went like that. He woke up, and then he wrote down whatever oh, yeah. he dreamed about. It's very, very clever. Uh, and woken up more than I should say of that sort of my head uh, dropping and then that drinking me. It's, it's exactly the same kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's quite brilliant because he was able to ask himself deep philosophical questions, which nobody understands as far as I know. Uh, so how do you compare the, uh, the concept of time in Hegel and Fichte uh, or Whatever. Yeah. It's bizarre, you know. But even, and even like sort of the stream of consciousness writers, Joyce and, you know, oh, the, yeah. the genre as well, in a sense, mm-hmm. they brought sort of impressionism, you know, to literature in the sense of almost dreamlike um, narratives, but it still worked, right? We, we still connected to their, to their meaning, to, to their message. And I think they're related in, in, in that way in terms of our perceptions um, don't have to be um, perfect, but we can draw meaning from them, even if they're ambiguous. So, so here's my very, very old-fashioned question. Uh, why is waking oriented to reality? And, and we pretty much yeah. know it, because if you're a hunter yeah. or you're a forager, uh, and you're not connected to reality, you, you die more often. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. And on the other hand, there are fantasy states, there are waking fantasy states, there are dreaming states, there are twilight states, yeah. there are novels, there are legends, there are myths. And, and sometimes misperceptions keep us alive better. Tell me about that. So, so the classic example, sort of the snake in the road, you know, in terms of a, it's much better to assume that it's a snake and not a stick. Right, even so if you're, if you're wrong, wrong about... But, but, and, yeah. it, you know, the, the odds would be low, but the, the stakes are high in, term, in terms of that. And I wonder about some of the visual illusions and stuff, the fools and other aspects, that this idea that the idea of perception is to accurately reflect the world around us, it's not quite right, I think, that the idea of perception is to keep us alive, you know, and to do that. And so some of the misperceptions, um, you know, and even pattern recognition stuff, that what kept score was not so much uh, how accurate it was, it was, did it work? Um, exactly. So let me... Uh let me bring you back to the snake and, and, the, and the stick. Uh, and what you're saying, I think, is that if you're going to place your bets, it's better to be wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's an interesting bet because that part isn't conscious, actually, in terms of the initial reaction is so fast, it doesn't have time to go to the cortex. So there's an initial reaction that's just amygdala, just like jump out of the way, don't you? Know, like you, you just do it. The, the consciousness comes a, a little bit later. Uh, which is rel- you know, not so re- not so known for so long, but now that we kind of understand this process, that it, mm-hmm. it, it's to our advantage to not even quote think about it. We need to act, and then you know, and then. So you want to jump out of the way, regardless. Yes, yes. Of whether it's a snake or a yeah, snake. yeah. E- even if I know that somebody comes up behind me, goes, I, I know it's you know not a, a goblin or something, but I'll still get scared. You'll still, anyway. still yeah. like have right. some of the, the you know the physio- physiologic reactions. But in general, the notion of, of does, you know, being conscious, because part of my conscious is you, you being Bernie, me being Jay, right? We have a very individual, you know, completely tied to our own life histories, everything. Mm-hmm. It's a, my consciousness is, is different than yours in that way. 
But and yet we also share a consciousness in terms of we're using words now to um, convey brain states in me to brain states in you, which we can actually measure. I could can create you know oh, yeah. a, a, a measures in your brain. I can talk about hitting mm -hmm. a backhand topspin shot in tennis, and in your brain you will now be you know as if you're doing it um, and, just and by imagining it. Yes, yeah. anticipate. Yeah, and I could you know that'd so be yeah, different than a forehand. Yeah, I could yeah. sort of create um, brain states in you just by my words. Just by moving these air molecules into your, and so that's pretty amazing. Um, but by being able to do that, then you and I can cooperate. We can work you know, against a predator or prey, and that's that worked really well for humans. Yep. You know, we're not the biggest, we're not the strongest, we're not the fastest, we're not the anythingest, but we work together to you know to to stay alive. Right. Um, and so I think in this way, whatever got that consciousness ball rolling, maybe that's why it you know has been reinforced, or that the the anatomy behind it is um, rewarded and kept around because uh, being conscious isn't just sort of a fun or, or meaningful to us, it helps us stay alive. One of, one of the current questions is can we use technologies to quantify consciousness in terms of discern these, these different levels? And there are, there are some promising approaches to this. Some involve trying to measure how the different parts of the brain are communicating with each other. Mm -hmm. So uh, experimentally, you can either perturb the brain right. with a transcranial simulation or these things you know, that can yeah, jolt the system and see how it reboots. And, 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 yeah. and they fundamentally try to look at how complicated the brain communication is. So if I was given an assignment um, in 1,000 words, tell me about your simplification, I could say it was very, 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 you know, 950 varies and then say boring. But I could reduce that, that thousand words to just a few. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the way some of the complexity measures go. It's sort of like, right. what would be the least number of words needed to describe my, my brain state? Right. Mm -hmm. So the reason I, I don't like those, I think that they're a necessary but not sufficient aspect. And so uh, it would be sort of like judging a book by how much it weighs right. you know, or, or exactly. how many vowels or something like that. Right. So I don't think they quite capture you know, the essence of it as much as I would like. But, but there's something in terms of saying um, you know, how complicated are the communications. Right. But the communications are not just quantity, it's the quality of them that I think we haven't captured well yet. To what extent does the cortex have to talk to our memory systems, to our limbics? So I think that there's, um, it's, it's in the details, you know, what communication is actually happening. Yeah. But, but given the, those um, measures in terms of, of how complicated is the brain, and again, it, it's, the key here is the connectivity in terms of conscious arises from connectivity. So we could look at something like lucid dreaming in terms of that. That, that seems so real, you're, all, you're generally uncertain at some moments, is this, is this real or not? So what's lucid dreaming? So, so for, for me, it's this sort of notion where it's, it's very, very real. You know, like you, you're confused almost, you know, is it real or not? Um, color, you know, they're in color, uh, that they um, have a, a more um, coherent than usual kind of storyline you feel. And I'm thinking that you can actually have it the other way as well, that I've had waking moment things that seem like a dream and uh -huh. turned out to not be a dream, you know, that they're, they are real, this sort of sense of, of deja vu or, or you know, things. Oh, really? So, you know, deja vu is the sensation that you've experienced something before. Right. 
which you can replicate um, the, by, the corpus callosum connects the left and right half of the brain. Right. And if it's a little bit slow, that's what feels like deja vu. So you're, you're sort of, you're, your right brain's remembering what just happened in your left brain milliseconds ago, but it seems like years ago, kind, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there may be other aspects of that, but this, that, these kind of notions where while you're awake, I'm not quite sure if I'm dreaming, and while you're dreaming, you know, I'm, so, and I don't know the answer to this, I'd wonder using these measures of brain connectivity, would they be very alike, you know, very different? Um, if we look at, at um, babies and when they cross that threshold, so the brain does become you know, more complicated in that sense. Um, so, so there's anatomical connectivity, which is sort of the street map. Correct, correct. And there's uh, functional connectivity. Yes, yes. Which is sort of the great, moving traffic. Great point. So, so the, um, the math behind this you know, goes back to the uh, Euler from, and it's, it's really? all about nodes and edges. So a node can be an ant, a galaxy, a city, a neuron, anything that you can imagine as a thing. And then the edges are any connection, a physical synapse, but also a statistical correlation, anything that sort of connects them. Right. So in yeah. one way that my different brain parts could be connected, they literally connected. I have a synapse that you know links here and connects two things. Right. But another way is every time this part of my brain goes up, this part goes down. Right. So they're just linked, you know, functionally across time and space. Mm -hmm. Or they could be linked that the same genes that influence this part also influence this part. And we're now talking about epigenetic yes, yes. control. Yeah, so it's a very oh. broad concept of like connectedness across uh, milliseconds of electricity, across three to five seconds of blood flow. Uh, so this is a, the technology like MEG, magnetoencephalography, and EEG, electro like. They're very fast, but they're not so good at space. Yep. And then fMRI is is uh, um, slower, but better at space. And that. so the, yep. all these different versions of connectivity, whatever version of that you use, it goes up from childhood to adolescent to adult. Uh, when you say it goes, uh, the brain becomes more and more connected. And ah. in, in all in all, in all those measures, almost any kind of way you conceptualize connectivity. Physical touching, yeah. uh, rising and falling together. Being, mm -hmm. So that's sort of a neat theme in biology in terms of as we mature, we become more integrated, more connected. Yes. And, and, and what I would wonder, do we also become more conscious? You know, in terms of, or is it, or is it more like vision that by about five, it's as good as it's going to get? You so know? here's my challenge. Yes. To, I understand the, the assertion you're making, and it's important. Uh, uh, and, and so, if you uh, if you apply these questions to the heart, you're an MD, obviously. Right? Yes, so yeah. You've had lots of training in medical school and practice and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know a great deal uh, about the heart. Is there a single dimension of the heart uh, that captures what the heart is? Yeah. So I, I think that that's that's a, a really fundamental difference because you know the heart we can we can see. You know, the EKG and a very boring, you know, it's very simple, well described, you know, um, um, electrical pattern based on its four chambers and when they contract and relax. Right. I don't think we'll find that in the brain. It's going to be really complicated. Yeah. And we can approach it and stuff. But, but I think that's where currently where it gets difficult because if I just look at like a baby's brain complexity, I don't think that I would capture consciousness. You know, because I would maybe be able to capture the, Potential, you know, for consciousness uh, down the road, 
But because of the reliance on memory that we've talked about, that's one of the things that I hadn't appreciated uh, three days ago, and yeah. that I'm really you know uh, struggling with right now internally in terms of, uh, in some ways, looking at identical twins in the womb. I uh, look like to me conscious behaviors. You know, they they know that they're the other one. And they, but now I, I think I'm I was wrong about that, frankly, because they don't really have the memory, you know, to pull that off. So some things might, I guess, look conscious. Uh, uh, you know, a machine could look like it's acting consciously to us, but mm-hmm. but I think we this is a danger there. You know, to say like because it looks like it's you know has purpose and intention and 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 meaning. Right. And we have to be really careful to then you know like, does it really you know in yes. terms of even mm-hmm. we've we've kind of used like a fly example as a fly conscious and stuff. They certainly do things on purpose and you know they have. Uh, they don't just fly randomly and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's a little bit of a slippery slope to um, equate um, intention mm-hmm. with, with consciousness. Yeah. They're connected, but not uh, not one and the same. Right. And, I, and so maybe you know some of it will be that that um, it'll keep coming back to defining consciousness you know, in in more and more nuanced ways. Mm-hmm. But I I think not completely. I think there's still this notion that to me is one of the most fundamental in in neuroscience is is you know the so-called hard problem of consciousness. It's it's still mm-hmm. I think um, elusive in terms of, of that line being crossed. You know, is it an illusion of consciousness? Is there something that we can truly measure and capture? If that's the case, we haven't done it yet. I don't think. Yeah, uh, uh, I get that. Uh, and this is the David Chalmers. Yes. Uh, yes. A hypothesis yeah. about consciousness yeah. that there's something fundamentally uh, hard to understand about subjective yeah. perception. I mean, I personally like don't think it's unnatural. You know, I, I'm not. I, I think it's you know, we'll potentially understand it. You know, by understanding the laws of nature, which is also a fundamental you know division amongst people. You know, in terms of but but just as a person, as what do you have in mind? I I think that there there, there is a. Um, a non-supernatural explanation right. aspect right. in terms of, of um, I certainly see the temptation, you know, to think you know, otherwise. Um, but it, mm-hmm. it, it blends right into the artificial intelligence of you know, ever achieving. And so another, I've gone round and round with this the last several days and yeah. thinking that I don't see any theoretical, you know, never say never aspect. Mm. But I do think it's going to be longer than people sort of uh, imagine now. I don't think I don't think it's just around the corner. But well, there it's, isn't uh, anything in science, as far as I can tell, that well, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, 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 that is an instant discovery of some fundamental principle. Yeah, yeah. but but it, it would be. I mean, it seems like if it did occur, you know, in terms of like sufficient number of connections, and, and well, we're kind of already there, you know, in terms of worldwide and you know and stuff and. And, and You're talking about the worldwide web. Yeah, yeah, and 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 again, you could probably have some definitions of consciousness that it's already there in terms of response to external um, mm. events and adapts mm. and yeah. You know, but but I don't think that's what most people mean. It was not what I would mean, you know, about mm-hmm. you know the internet becoming conscious in the sense of having its own agenda, you know. Um, and so it's not just a matter now of. You know, complexity. Ten years ago, it was. I mean, this fairly recently that threshold has been crossed in terms of that um, ten to the thirteen connections that we have oh, really? in our brain, the, the quadrillions of like 
that we've passed. I mean, so the Internet World Web is bigger than that, and nothing magic, you know, happened, and you know, the Internet woke up one morning, kind of right. thing. But it might have, you know, in terms of that wasn't completely um, out of the question whether it's just a matter of complexity. If we just get enough um, modeling, enough connections, then that's what consciousness is. So I think that question sort of been answered. So just sheer number of connections isn't enough. You know, so so what else? You know, what are we missing? Um, don't know. But but I think that it was an interesting um, threshold in terms of before nothing could come close. Right. There's never a watch or you know, all, the, all the analogies to what the brain was. Yes. They, they, they weren't even accomplished as a neuron. Right. Much so, less we, a brain. so we have better uh, uh, analogies which are sort of uh, jump off. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For the, whatever we're trying to understand. Yeah. So one of the, the, the questions posed earlier was, um, are babies conscious or uh, in the womb or the after or at what point, maybe a child, what time? And um, humbly, you know, I don't know. You know, I still, um, after 30 years of thinking about this kind of question, uh, to, if I'm honest with myself, honest with you, I really you know, don't know. If, but, you, um, but you know the traditional hypothesis, right? Yes. About the quickening. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think in, you know, I, almost definitionally again, you know, in some aspects, I, I would say, yes, the baby is acting you know, consciously. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's not. It's just that I don't know how to pin it down in terms of whether it's the third month, the, the fourth month, the fifth month. And, um, and I have to admit, I'm a little less certain even now than when I, when I started because of your, your um, insights on the role of memory. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they just don't have the hardware to do you know, memory beyond a, a few seconds. So, so I'm a little, as is often the case, right, the more you study, the, the farther away you feel from, from uh, well, and, and, and therapy. We hope that's because we know more, and so the puzzles become yeah. deeper. Good science always right, it, it raises more questions than it answers, and I think right. consciousness is a great example of that. Right. So thank you. Thank Dave, you. Very thank you. much. Uh, that was Both for the last few days, but also for your entire career and bringing you know, consciousness into, into the fray of, of neuroscience, and it's really been a remarkable body of work, well, an honor for me. That's really kind of you, and I, I do appreciate it. Uh, and I think the fray is exactly the, where consciousness should be, because we should not feel that we can't talk about this, right. Yeah. right? Just like we should not feel that we can't talk about unconscious brain processes, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a free world, yeah. right? And we can say what we want, and we can say what we're thinking. Uh, and that's a liberating thing because, as you know perfectly well, of course, at one time the word consciousness was taboo. Yes, yeah. Uh, and, and that has lifted. Uh, and I'm obviously very grateful for that. And you're it's being. There's still a little more lifting needed, but in general, it's a much more. Uh, oh, that's easy that is interesting. Yeah. Yes, that's important to know. Uh, so I'm Bernard Bars, and this is On Consciousness. And we will continue with this discussion later on. To show our appreciation, we are offering our listeners a 50% discount for any edition of Bernie's book on consciousness, science and subjectivity, updated works on global workspace theory. Just go to shop.thenautiluspress.com, spelled S-H-O-P dot T-H-E 
N-A-U-T-I-L-U-S-P-R-E-S-S dot com. And be sure to enter the word books, B-O-O-K-S, in the coupon code box during checkout for that extra 50% savings. Of course, Bernie's books are available everywhere books are sold, although your 50% discount is only available in the Nautilus shop. If you'd like to discover more about the conscious brain and learn more about global workspace functions, please visit Bernie's new website at bernardbars.com. And I'm going to spell that also, B-E-R-N-A-R-D-B-A-A-R-S.com. And thank you for listening.